Radio Theater Project. Radio Theater Project. A radio drama series featuring comedy, science fiction, and mystery. 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 Old stories and new. Radio Theater Project. Theater of the mind for today. You knocked. Yes, I'm from Colin Dufrayer's office for Mr. Head. My master's expecting you. Come. Yes, Mr. North, please sit. Thank you. Do you know why you are here? To take dictation, I'm told you have an extraordinary tale to tell, of which you would like the whole thing set out for Mr. Dufrayer's perusal. Yes, it is of the utmost importance. I will, of course, pay you for your time. I am at your disposal. Hot drink first? If it's all right with you, sir, I'm anxious to begin. I'm to court a lady later this evening and should prepare myself. (laughs) Of course, I perfectly understand. We shall start with no more delay. Write today's date at the top of your paper, Saturday the 27th, April, 1895. It is not with ease that I invite you into my home, Mr. North. I have become by nature reclusive. My ghastly past, though foggy, you see, has had a paralyzing effect on me. So rigid was I that I traded the bustling world for a strictly private scientist laboratory. Only through the patience of my good friends, Colin Dufrayer and Julia Kenyon, have I slowly begun to shed my tortoise shell. Shed my tortoise shell? How wonderfully poetic. Quite. From the memories I have retained, I can tell you it all began 14 years ago in Naples, where at just 21 years of age I was studying biology at the Italian Academic Institution. 21 years of age. That is quite an accomplishment. Do you like the sound of your own voice, Mr. North? Excuse me, sir? Are you quite sure you wouldn't like to tell my tale yourself? Terribly sorry. Go on. Are you sure? Please. Very well. My primary training came from a most extraordinary woman, Professoressa Caterina, a supreme biologist herself, noticed my passion and talent for the field. She offered private tutelage. Of course, I agreed and spent much time with her outside of the classroom. And soon I fell hopelessly in love, and then without difficulty became a victim to her wiles and fascinations. Dazzled by her stunning beauty and intellect, I pledged my allegiance to her, like a drone. I went wherever she led. She led me into Italy's secret places. They say love blinds. To this I can attest. It kept my eyes dull for the longest time. Her aims and ambitions, I thought the loftiest in the world, became mine. And became theirs, the other men of her set. I am plagued by terrible dreams, Mr. North. Phantoms torment my soul. I think I've taken part in ungodly ceremonies. I keep seeing pictures of wine swirling goblets, splash over the brim and stain my hands. I try to scrub them clean. It's not wine, it is blood. These dark images come, I believe, from the night upon which I became a member of Katerina's Brotherhood, the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings. Prime Thriller presents the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings. These are the chronicles of Norman Head, who is fighting the Brotherhood's worldwide conspiracy of evil. The time has now come for him to tell of his adventurous tales. This time, he tells the story of the contested Will and Cecil Doncaster Part 1, based on the stories by Robert Eustace and L.T. Mead, written for radio by Glenn Hibbert.
I remember more pleasant memories. Before I'd become a brother, there was a time that Katerina's ideals embraced all the principles of true liberty. Then after my initiation, I am certain all changed. Mr. North, why are you raising your hand? Blood? Goblets? What were you doing? Look, Mr. North, even if I remembered my initiation, I am sure I would not care to elaborate on it. It's not just for affect, sir? What do you mean? Amnesia adds delicious intrigue, but if you are feigning it, that turns away the truth, does it not? I don't think I like what you are implying, Mr. North. You constantly try my patience. I'm not suggesting that you committed any atrocity, you understand. I'm just simply enthralled. Enthralled? You're enthralled? You should be appalled at my behavior as I am. I am sickened by what I might have participated in, what I might have dismissed, cursed love, and all the ways it dumbs the keen senses of intelligent minds. It is not the distant past that I wish dredged up, Mr. North. It is on matters more recent that I will regale you. What I have so far shared with you is but the aberrant foundation upon which my story sits. So you will continue taking shorthand without a word of interruption, or I will report this to Colin Dufrayer, the greatest lawyer in London. Your faculty was flawed in the hiring of Mr. John North. That will not be necessary, sir. I am utterly chastised. Now, where were you in your notes? Um, then, after my initiation, I am certain all changed. <sighs> yes, of that I am certain. I am, however, uncertain about how it changed exactly, except that it must have been uncommonly heinous. I'm sorry to interrupt, and, and after you've numerously told me not to, but Mr. Head, how could you forget something uncommonly heinous? Would it not burn fast in your memory? I will allow the question, for this once mirrored my own thoughts, if it were not for the work of Sigmund Freud. Freud? I have yet to be convinced by any of his theories. My beloved friend Mrs. Kenyon last year heard him speak of what he calls the subconscious mind. So overwrought by what I had witnessed, Mrs. Kenyon believes that perhaps some function has switched itself off inside my brain which inhibits traumatic memories from surfacing. There is a better term he uses. Psychological repression? Yes, that is it. Precisely, North. Well done. I think it's a fascinating concept, and it would go a long way to explain the blank holes in my recollections. What is the last thing you remember? Katerina announcing that she was going away for a year, leaving a gentleman to take over her duties as the head of the order. With her gone, it was like her spell over me had finally broken. I remember everything after that day. This was my opportunity to leave the Brotherhood before things settled under the new temporary leadership. I fled to England to place myself under the protection of its laws. Do you remember the new man's name? Mr. Porcelli. Something wrong? Uh, no. I, I, I'm just remembering now that throughout that first year I was free, one thought constantly visited me. Upon Katerina's return to the set of Naples, she will send confederates to collect me. After twelve years with no apparent retribution, the past began to fade from my mind. It was destined to be recalled to me with startling vividness. The first crumbs of the adventure that I was to play a part in go back to January of 1894. I'm glad we are in a sheltered carriage, Mother. As am I, son. The rain has been pelting down. 
Our poor driver must be sodden. I think it's starting to peter out. Cecil, you know that I would rather you not use American idioms, and please give word contractions no quarter. But it's so fun. Americans know how to have it. Oh? And where have you heard this? My literature tutor. I shall have to take Professor Wordsmith aside next I see him. Oh, please don't. Do not do that, Mother. I like Professor Wordsmith. Sam! There! Mind now. The cobble gets pretty bumpy around here. Three months after the accident, I received a visit. Sir, Mrs. Kenyon is here. Thank you, Chester. Is there tea in the study room? Yes, sir. Excellent. I'll join her shortly. Very good, sir. Mrs. Kenyon, I'm delighted to see you. Norman. Please, take a seat. Thank you. Oh, and mind your arm. I have to keep it in the sling another three months. It's unbearable. Could be worse, though. I could have broken my right arm, and then I would not be able to write. Now that is unthinkable. Anything else wrong? It may have been the discomfort in your arm as you sat, but I swear you flashed a glare at me. <laughs> it's too bad of you, Norman. It's been months, and you haven't been near me. Your laboratory in Regent's Park keeps you away. Do you intend to forget your old friends? And especially in the state they are in. Cecil keeps asking for you. <sighs> I confess, physiology and biology are my wives, Mrs. Kenyon. I quite believe it. For better or for worse? Quite. <laughs> Cup of tea? Yes. How is Cecil? Thankfully, nothing was broken. I was his cushion. He came away with barely a scratch. All the same, the incident with the carriage has been a blow to his already weak constitution. The whole affair has left me with some unwanted questions. What do you mean? You, of course, know of the great change in his fortunes? <laughs> yes, I understand a quite unexpected death of a relative has brought him into a large fortune. Yes, my husband. Of course, I, I'm terribly sorry for your loss. Sadly, you never really got to know him. I should have been there last year, supported you through the will reading as you requested. Well, it is near impossible to pull you away for anything. You have, however, started to socialize a little more, and I'm pleased at your progress. Yes. <laughs> but I have not come here to tell you about things that you already know. Let me tell you about what went on after the reading. But, but this is preposterous. Order, Mr. Doncaster. No, Mr. Paperweight. Let him speak. Please, I want to hear it. Do not stir. Oh, Grandma, please. To bequeath the care and property to a boy who can barely stand on his feet as it is, let alone possibly stand and shoulder the responsibility of considerable estates, is preposterous. Does he even have the head for all those facts and figures demanded by the rent roll? My granddaughter will help him. She is a very capable woman. Please stop, Grandmama! I'm sorry, dear. I'm just so proud of you. Can we talk about this seriously? There is no more to be said, Mr. Doncaster. As stated in the will, the title of Lord Cairn, its lands and estates go to the sun. 
It is your brother-in-law's dying wish. What did you expect? Cecil was often the source of John's consternation. You said it once yourself, Julia. It is for this. One day, he postulated he might pass the property on to me. So, yes, I confess, unashamedly, he may have seen it go to me, to grow and prosper it under sound stability. And not to mention, of course, grow and prosper your wallet. Will you shut up, Herodin? Oh, my heart. All right, now, that is the last straw. Please leave and be happy with what you were bequeathed to. Which is what again? I will say it only once more. Then I'll see you leave. Upon Cecil's passing, and my brother-in-law is alive, the Cairn property will go to Hugh Doncaster. Also, the renters in the current dwelling on Wood Street in London, which stands under my name, will transfer over to him. Their rent roll, if he decides to keep them as tenants, will then go to Mr. Hugh Doncaster. Currently, as things stand, that is a pittance. Which, in my opinion, is still too good for him. All right, Grandmama. You were not helping. Let's leave it at that. Oh, you're such a good girl. Grandmama! Foul as Doncaster is, Norman, true his words ring. Cecil is a most delicate boy. My late husband so easily carried the weight of the title, but... I do fear Cecil will be entirely crushed. I rather hope he grows stronger. I'm very glad to tell you that he is, and I will explain how in a moment. But to those unwanted questions I alluded to earlier... Yes, explain that. Well, you heard what happened. The man's disappointment and rage at Cecil succeeding the title over him greatly concerns me that it has bred malevolent feelings toward the child. Soon after the reading, I tried to look him up at his Wood Street residence to smooth over the waters. The boarders saw him pack some things and leave before Christmas last year. He's not been seen since. I have taken over collecting the rent and will pass the money on to him if he returns. His life, like yours, has become more or less mysterious. I thought it just possible, Norman, as an old friend, that you might be able to get me some particulars with regards to his current whereabouts. I understand your discomfort, Mrs. Kenyon. Him leaving without a word should not cause you to fear the man. I'll have a greater understanding if there's anything else you ought to disclose. My, my poor driver was quite distraught by the carriage accident. It was quite beyond him how it could have happened. He took it upon himself to examine the carriage and discovered that the undergear had been tampered with. You suspect sabotage? The axle tree was quite eaten through, not from where, but what he believed was evenly applied acid. It had been holding on by a thread. One good bump and our trip was all over. That is quite a serious turn of events. Norman, if you will indulge a mother's instincts, I believe Hugh had something to do with it, and I should be more comfortable if he were nowhere in my child's vicinity. I do not wish to sound overly protective and paranoid, Norman, but Cecil is my only son. He is all that connects me to my beloved departed husband. Of course, Mrs. Kenyon. I'm not yet prepared to say it was Doncaster, but it is no doubt highly suspicious. I will endeavor to seek out the truth. You will have all the resources available to me. You are a good friend. 
Let's no longer keep our visits months apart, Norman. And enough of this Mrs. Kenyon. Call me Julia. Now on to happier news. I must tell you about Cecil's health. I hired the services of a most remarkable physician to help his constitution and confidence. For the last two months, he is almost quite well. What is the name of this physician? He has been under the care of that extraordinary woman, Madame Colucci. She has worked miracles in his case, and now to complete the cure, she is sending him to the Mediterranean. He sails tomorrow night under the care of Dr. Fieta. I cannot bear parting with him, but it is for his good, and Madame Colucci insists that a sea voyage is indispensable. But won't you accompany him? Quite impossible, I'm afraid. My eldest daughter, Ethel, is about to be married, and I cannot leave her on the eve of her joining. Unfortunately, Cecil will not be able to be her page boy now, but I was so pleased for her. My husband knew of the upcoming marriage, of course, and left money for her to buy only the best wedding dress she could find. And you trust this Dr. Fietta? Oi, Norman. Who is paranoid now? Dare I believe that you have fatherly instincts for my boy? Mrs. Kenyon. Julia! <laughs> Mrs. Julia Kenyon? You are impossible, Mr. Norman Head. <laughs> Allay your fears. Dr. Fietta is a capital fellow. I have complete faith in him. So, the Mediterranean. Yes, Cairo! Cairo? On the high daps. Cairo is fearfully hot this time of year. Are you quite sure it is wise to send the delicate lad there in August? Oh, he will not stay. Madame Colucci has booked him on a return boat the following day after their arrival. I cannot argue with her. She has succeeded where the medical profession gave little hope. You have heard of this marvelous woman, of course. Her very name is heard everywhere, and I'm quite sick of it, actually. She has bewitched London with her deceit and quackery. Deceit? <laughs> quackery? There is nothing of the sort about her, Norman. There is authentic accounts of her wonderful cures, which cannot be contradicted. There are even rumors that she can restore youth and beauty by her arts. All of London society is at her feet. It is whispered that even royalty are among her patients. More so than I believe she genuinely cares for people. And does she care for the poor on the streets? For those that earn very little? Her fees, I've heard, are exorbitant. I can't speak to that. But can you? Have you not met her? Never. Well, yet you judge her so decisively. If I didn't know you better, I'd say you were jealous. Don't be absurd. I just don't know who she is. Do any of us know who she is? You really should go and see for yourself. She has taken up residence in Walbeck Street, number 100. And what of this fellow Fietta? Who is he? A medical man who assists Madame in her treatments. I have just seen him. He is both charming and devoted to Cecil. Oh, five o'clock. I had no idea it was so late. I, I must be going. Will you let me know if you hear of any news of Mr. Doncaster? And come see me soon? Biology and physiology needn't be jealous or little old me. <laughs> Good day, Mr. Head. Good day, Julia. Quite a mystery. Indeed. As I thought more about our discussion, a vague sensation of coming trouble possessed me. Later that evening at half past ten, I found myself in a drawing room in Grosvenor Square. Enter your boss. 
Is that the upstanding fellow, Norman? Norman Head, I see. Du Freyer, good evening, dear friend. I have been watching you from the drinks table. What is your game? Let me in on it. Whatever do you mean? Your eyes constantly scan the guests. Are you on an investigation of some sort? Nothing here to see. Same old well-dressed citizens. Same old government officials. Yes, but who are the same old well-dressed people here for? That stately woman with the regal appearance and upright bearing at the far end of the room? Yes. The one with diamonds in her dusky hair and on her arms and neck? Such intelligence and power graces that face. I have the impression I've seen her before. I should say that you have, dear fellow. She is often in the papers. The rage of the season. The great consultant. London is mad about her. That, of course, is the stunning Madame Colucci. But of course it is. They say she has more than a dozen engagements per night. I believe it. Look, she has only been here ten minutes and already she goes. Then if I'm to catch her, I'd better hurry. Good luck to you! Would you like a cup of tea now, Mr. North? Pardon? Tea. What, now? No, sir. You have me quite on edge. Pray continue with your tale. Because her admirers swamped Madame Colucci, I reached the head of the stairs before she did. As she went by, her eyes met mine. Their dark depths read me through. She half smiled, half paused in her stride as if to speak, changed her mind, made a stately inclination of her queenly head, and slowly descended the steps. I stood still. There was a ringing in my ears, and my heart was beating to suffocation. Madame Colucci was the woman that had racked my heart and life ten years ago in Naples. I had just seen the head of the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings. Can it truly be? Norman! Heavens preserve. You startled me, Colin. What is going on? You simply must tell me. Quick, behind those barrels. Before you're seen. Head? Barrels, now. And who are we hiding from? Peek over the top and focus on the carriage. Head, are you spying on Madame Colucci? A peeping Tom at your age, really. Do stop prattling on, Colin. Do you recognize who she's talking to? No, should I? Not a known criminal, then? Not a known criminal, Head. Why are you so determined to paint Madame Colucci with a tarred brush? Do you have proof that she harbors some nefarious machination? Shh. I want to hear what she says. Patience, Hugh, darling. They sail tomorrow evening. Hugh? Know him? Not at all. Shh. After Cecil's well, you spoke it will first. all be over, and the name Doncaster will be in light. It is him. Him now, who? Now I must be on. Other things need my attention. Driver! I've got to warn her. Warn who about what? I think Hugh Duncaster is responsible for sabotaging her carriage. Sabotage? Where are you going now? What on earth is a foothead? The thing at the end of your leg. Oh, very funny. He must be enjoying this. That's unusually witty for head. Ahoy there. I'll take this, handsome. 140, Earl's Terrace, Kensington, and on the double. I guess I'll stay put. Inside. Hiya! 
So, Doncaster, in cahoots with Madame Colucci? With Katerina. Madame Colucci is just her alias. A new name, but not a new being. Wherever this woman appeared, victims fell, whether friend or foe. I include myself in that. But yes, Mr. North, it began to make sense. Doncaster had his eyes set on the lordship and would doubtless pay Katerina a fabulous sum for it to happen. Dear Cecil's life was in the gravest danger, and I knew I must save the child, even if my own life were the penalty. Thank you. I'll use you again. I won't be long. Mrs. Kenyon, open up! Julia! Julia! Jew! Good evening, sir. Though a wet one it is. Er, yes, I'm quite well aware. I must speak to Mrs. Kenyon immediately. It is extremely important. I believe you. Not many folk would get out in the rain for a cordial visit. Yes, all right. Let me in, man. I'm sorry, sir. My mistress has started for Scotland by the night mail train. In heaven's name, why? She received a telegram this evening. Her eldest daughter has fallen seriously ill. Upon getting it, she started north. It's all right. Is the Lord Cairn in, then? My mistress did not like leaving him here alone, sir. She has sent him over to Madame Colucci. Perhaps you are not aware that his lordship sails to... Yes, I know all about that. Now I'll have to send a telegram to Mrs. Kenyon. It is a long way to Scotland, and she may not reach her destination until tomorrow evening. It's damned inconvenient. <sighs> If you will give me your missus's forwarded address. Yes, sir. I'll write it down for you, sir. Yes, yes. Much obliged. Hurry it along. Where to now, Cobber? I have to send an urgent telegram. Take me to the after-hours office. And stop calling me Cobber. Norman, calm down. Breathe. Think. What good will a telegram really do? The boy is already in the hands of that devilish woman. I believe there is only one action left for me to take. I must rescue the boy by guile. Whoa! Sir, we've not reached the telegram office yet. I've changed my mind. Take me to the travel agent office instead. Going abroad? An ocean cruise? On the high dasp to Cairo. Mr. Head is off to the Mediterranean to save the young man's life. Come back next time to find out more. Crime Thriller presented The Brotherhood of the Seven Kings with the story The Contested Will and Cecil Doncaster Part 1. Based on the stories by Robert Eustace and L.T. Mead, written for radio by Glenn Hibbert. Starring Steve Chambers as Norman Head. Also in the cast were Michael Ingalls as John North, Heather Cloak as Mrs. Kenyon, Brock Bladder as Hugh Doncaster, Robert Cervantes as Colin Defrayer, Colin Cronin as Cecil Doncaster, Beth Greaterex as Madame Colucci. Other parts played by Joanna Bruno, Joseph McGuire, Dave Anderson, Roy Nestle, and Mark Cronin. I'm your announcer, Anne Bodle Nash. Theme music by Dance Macabre by Camille Sanson, performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Sound design and dialogue editing, Jay Charles. Recording technician, Roberta Wiley. Recording engineer, Kevin Hughes. Production assistant, Ziona Pettigrew. Produced and directed by Robin Candelaria. Recorded in partnership at KSVR Studios in Mount Vernon, Washington. This is a radio theater project recently.